This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Nancy Benson. This week, how traumatic brain injuries and homelessness go hand in hand. It's not just the choice of these individuals to be on the street or to be alcoholics or drug addicts, that maybe there are changes in the brain that are a result of an injury. Traumatic brain injuries and homelessness when Radio Health Journal returns. Your new teen driver may have a license, but they still need you to stay involved. Hi, I'm Debbie Herzman, president of the National Safety Council, and this is your Safety Minute. Even with a new license in hand, teens lack crucial driving experience. In fact, drivers 16 to 19 are three times more likely to be in a crash than drivers over 20. Ride with your teen for at least 30 minutes a week, even after they have their license. Set defined rules. Don't be afraid to be tougher than your state's laws. You're the best judge of your teen's driving ability. And ask the right questions. Are you driving friends? Will you be a passenger in another teen's car? Know that a single young passenger can increase a teen's crash risk by 44%. Visit driveathome.org for free parent resources to get started. Safety Minute is brought to you by the National Safety Council and Toyota. Go to any big city in the United States and homelessness is obvious out on the streets. According to a report to Congress, more than 600,000 people are homeless in the United States on any given night. Over the course of a year, more than 3.5 million Americans may be homeless at some point. A number of studies are finding many of them have one thing in common. They had a traumatic brain injury, or TBI, before homelessness struck. It's definitely a new area of study, but it seems to be a consistent theme that at least about half of individuals who are homeless have experienced traumatic brain injuries in their past. And what we're also finding is that usually the first such injury is occurring prior to the individual becoming homeless, and usually in the early teenage years. Dr. Jane Topolovec Vranek is an associate scientist at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto and assistant professor of occupational science at the University of Toronto. On average, 45% of these men across the study that we looked at, but it varied. We surveyed over 100 men in a local shelter, one of the largest shelters that we have here in Toronto, and the shelter has different programs in it. So depending on which program we sampled from, the rates varied a little bit with the highest rates, about 65% of the men we looked at in the hostel unit, which is the more transient program in the shelter, had a positive screen for a past TBI. More than half of the men, about 58% in one study that we did, had a history of traumatic brain injury. And among the women, it was lower. It was 42%. Regardless of that difference by sex, the prevalence of TBI is far higher in the homeless population than in the general population. It's probably five or more times higher. That's Dr. Stephen Huang, director of the Center for Urban Health Solutions at St. Michael's Hospital and professor of medicine at the University of Toronto. He says the data doesn't exist yet to say for sure that TBIs cause homelessness, but it's important to note that often people were living normal lives, then their traumatic brain injury occurred. Huang and Topolovic Vronik say it's easy to see how such an injury could trigger a downward spiral. People with TBI 
often have troubles with executive function. So they have trouble organizing and sequencing what they need to do. They have trouble controlling their emotions, and they sometimes have difficulty with outbursts of anger and difficulty kind of modulating their emotions. So all of those behaviors related to TBI could certainly increase your risk of becoming homeless. No one is without risk. It's often been said that millions of Americans are just one paycheck away from homelessness. But Topolovic-Vranek's study shows most of us might also be one bad accident away. Many of the injuries that precede a decline into homelessness could have happened to anyone. Many of them, so about 66% of the men, had sustained at least one of their injuries as a result of an assault, but many of them, around 40%, had sustained at least one injury by sports and recreation or motor vehicle collisions or falls. So this is interesting because I think we have so many assumptions around how these injuries may be happening and the fact that Some people are sustaining these injuries by mechanisms everyone's at risk for, sports and recreation or motor vehicle collisions or falling. I think it raises more questions. Topolovec Vranek says often an injury is enough to tip the balance for someone already living on the edge who might have fallen into homelessness anyway. But sometimes it's pretty clear that the injury was responsible. I met a woman at a conference who was hearing my presentation. At the end, she said, you know, my brother, he was in a motorcycle accident when he was younger, and he just changed after that. Like, he had a brain injury, and his personality changed, and he couldn't keep his job and really kind of alienated himself from his family. And now he's on the streets, and we can't get him back. He just has no interest in being part of the family or getting a job or anything like that. However, both Topolovec Vronik and Huang emphasize that traumatic brain injuries are unfortunately common, and there are many people who suffer traumatic brain injuries without falling into homelessness. The reason why this work is getting a lot of attention right now is we hear so much in the media about concussions, and particularly with sports and youth, you know, parents being concerned about some of the longer-term implications that we're hearing about with early concussions. So this type of work seems to resonate in terms of, oh my goodness, if my child's playing sports and getting concussions, could they become homeless one day? That is not the point we're hoping to make. It's more for individuals who are right now working with homeless persons and seeing behaviors that may be, you know, aggression or look like substance use or even the irritability and anxiety that could also be related to organic injury to the brain rather than personality or being disrespectful. Topolovec Vronik says there's also a lesson here about the assumptions society often makes about homeless people. It's not just the choice of these individuals to be on the street or to be alcoholics or drug addicts, that maybe there are changes in the brain that are a result of an injury that kind of contributes to some of these situations and circumstances. But perhaps even more importantly, Huang says all this new research implies that there may be ways to prevent homelessness if we appropriately rehabilitate traumatic brain injuries. The services that we provide to try to rehabilitate and support people that have had traumatic brain injuries may down the road help prevent them from becoming homeless. And we should be perhaps thinking about, well, first of all, I think we should try to determine through further research if 
traumatic brain injury is in and of itself increasing people's risk for becoming homeless. And then if it is, a secondary question would be, can we identify a subgroup of people with TBI who are at particularly high risk of becoming homeless? Because ideally, you'd like to be able to focus your efforts on a high-risk group rather than everyone who's ever had a TBI. Many variables are likely at work in determining who is at risk and who is not. Topolovec Vronik says the same injury may physically affect two people differently, and even those who are affected the same way may have different risks for homelessness as a result of varying economics or family support. So before we can start to lower the toll of homelessness, there's a lot of research yet to do. Our production director is Sean Waldron. I'm Nancy Benson. Radio Health Journal returns with medical notes in just a moment. October is Liver Health Awareness Month, and you may not know that one in 10 people in the United States is living with a liver condition, such as hepatitis, cirrhosis, or fatty liver disease. These patients face unique, serious dietary issues, making nutrition the most important factor for their liver health. Now there's the Amseti Bar, the first nutrition bar developed to support a healthy liver diet, according to Dr. Tarek Hassanin, medical director at Southern California Liver Centers. Liver patients have special nutritional needs. Finding simple options with the necessary vitamins and minerals is not easy. But now they have a simple way to get the nutrients they need to support liver health. The Amseti Bar includes 16 vitamins and minerals research has shown support liver health. It's vital nutrition in a simple, convenient bar. To support your liver health, visit amseti.com to learn more about the Amseti Bar to take control of your health. That's A-M-S-E-T-Y dot com. Medical notes this week. A lot of men may breathe easier over a new study on men who have had vasectomies. A few years ago, a small study linked vasectomies to a higher risk of prostate cancer. But now this much larger study in the Journal of Clinical Oncology says not to worry. It finds no greater risk at all. The new study looked at more than eight times as many prostate cancer cases as the previous study. Researchers say vasectomy is an effective and inexpensive long-term birth control method. Children are sometimes prescribed pain medications and cough syrups with codeine, but the American Academy of Pediatrics says that should stop. Codeine is an opioid drug that can slow breathing to the danger point and children metabolize it differently than adults. More than 800,000 kids under 11 were prescribed codeine medications in a recent four-year period, according to a report in the journal Pediatrics. And over-the-counter drugs containing codeine are available in 28 states. The AAP says children would be better off taking ibuprofen instead. And finally, fidgeting feet may keep your legs healthy. A study in the American Journal of Physiology, Heart, and Circulatory Physiology shows that if you're sitting for a long time, fidgeting your legs and feet markedly increases blood flow. In fact, it could be enough to increase your vascular health. But doctors say even if you fidget, you should still get up and walk every now and then. And that's Medical Notes this week. More in a moment. Everyone who exercises has their own motivation and goals, and Alabama resident Gay Rogers is no different. Gay's determination restored her ability to walk again after both a disease and infection threatened her life. Her fitness training gave her the strength and stability to walk and even use the elliptical with her prosthetic legs. An inspiration to millions, Gay was voted the winner of the 2016 Silver Sneakers Richard L. Swanson Inspiration Award. No matter what your motivation to exercise is, Silver Sneakers offers these tips. Find a workout partner to force you out of your comfort zone and keep you accountable. 
create a new playlist of your favorite music. Try new things like a dance class, biking, or swimming to keep your workout fresh. And set a goal to keep you on track through any bumps in the road. Silver Sneakers has supported millions of individuals across the nation to do all of that and more. Silver Sneakers Fitness has a variety of offerings both in and out of the gym, from weights and yoga to hiking and dance, to help older Americans maximize their health and maintain their lifestyle. Find out more at silversneakers.com. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTrax Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.